Believe me, my young friend, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, half so much worth doing as simply messing about in boats. Father Brendan Kilcoyne, uh, coming to you from Westport, County Mayo, and I'm joined by my colleague, Father Gerard Quirk, just hoping to spend something like uh, an hour with you uh, ref uh, reflecting on some aspects of the situation in which the Church finds herself, in which we find ourselves as believers nowadays in modern Ireland. I don't know if you recognise the quotation there at the beginning, but I began by quoting from uh, a book which a friend of mine, an English teacher uh, with me, I, I taught English with him years ago, he once described as one of the, one of the seminal keystone um, works of literature uh, of the modern Western world. Uh, Kenneth Graham's book, uh, much loved book, The Wind and the Willows. And in that book, uh, Ratty, because of course these are all, it's anthropomorphic, these are all talking animals. Uh, Ratty, one of the characters in it, uh, who's a passion for the river and for fishing, um, comments that there's, there's just nothing that comes near simply messing about in boats. And I, I'm beginning by talking about this because, and this is strange, this is odd, because if you notice we're, we're on an island and we're surrounded by really a persuasive amount of water, and yet the Irish are not, certainly the modern Irish, are not seafarers. We just, we just don't, as they said in the 60s, we don't dig water, we just don't do it. Um, now the, I mean, I, I don't want to dwell on this too much now, but it's a, it's a fascinating discussion. And I, I remember having a, a talk about it years ago with some friends of mine and one or two neighbours. And, and one neighbour speculated tantalisingly that um, part of it was, was a, 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 it was a, one side of this inordinate passion for land that you had in the Irish peasantry, is that we despised fishing. The fisherman was a man of no land. He was a man of no property, or at least that's how it was seen. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a fascinating discussion, and we could look at it in more depth later. But one thing is for sure, is that in spite of, of Trojan efforts by the Irish government over the last 60 years or so, it has taken ages just to get us to eat fish with any regularity. Uh, we regarded it, I suppose, to an extent as penitential. When I was growing up, they said, well, salmon was lovely for a turn, preferably poached. And I don't mean the cooking, the, the cooking method, um, that there was a lovely flavour to it. They'd eat herring now and again. But we weren't, outside of Connemara, maybe Western Donegal, uh, Kerry, we weren't, big, we weren't big fishermen and we weren't big fish eaters. And, and that's a problem. That's a problem, and I'll tell you why. Because we are in the middle of another flood. Now at this stage you're going to, you're going to switch, you're going to, you're going to move to another channel, so to speak, because you can say, here we go with another, another flood prophesying lunatic, another wild-eyed madman in off the bog with the, with the rushes sticking out of his hair going on about the flood. Well, I can tell you for a start, although I am surrounded by a great deal of bog, I don't have much hair and there are no rushes, and there is a flood. It's metaphorical, but it's, it's there. What I'm talking about is real, I'm just trying to explain it. And I'm talking about a massive cultural deluge. I'm talking about modernity. Um, 
Cardinal O'Fee was once asked, uh, a lot of you won't have heard of him, but he, he was well known when, when I was a boy. He was the leader of the Irish Church, Archbishop of Armagh, former professor of ecclesiastical history at Maynooth, and a respected ecclesiastical historian, uh, and a tremendous nationalist. And he was, he was once asked, Your Eminence, uh, why is Ireland, this was, let's say, oh, what, the early 80s, why has Ireland stayed so faithful? You know, a million people turned out to the John Paul II's Mass in the Phoenix Park, and a few more million together, uh, all told, turned up to the various other, the various other masses that were held in the country. And uh, uh, he thought for a moment. He said, "Why did Ireland stay so faithful to the faith when Western Europe had, even by then, largely apostatized?" And he he just answered very simply: "Remote, insular, poor." And that was from a man of passionate faith and love for his country. It was blisteringly truthful. He was sounding a huge warning. I had a professor of history, interestingly, uh, around the same time, Monsignor Patrick Corish, fantastic and charismatic teacher in Maynooth. And Corish used to say to us in the 80s, he used to shake his head, he had a very ponderous way of speaking, and he'd say, every time I think of Quebec, I tremble for Ireland. And Quebec, of course, prior to any scandals, this is forgotten, a devoutly Catholic, uh, urban and industrialised area had completely collapsed in Catholic terms in the late 70s, when, with hardly any scandals of the type we, we've become all too sadly acquainted with. There was something happening. Something was coming. The historians could smell it, the sociologists, they could sense it, the cultural, the cultural students, the best journalists of the time could sense it coming, and it was coming, and this tsunami was coming. The small animals, so to speak, were bolting. The birds had gone quiet in the trees. But many of us thought this would continue, and while certainly Irish Catholicism would be smaller, it would morph, it would still be strong, because there was an exceptionalism, there was a particularity to the Irish Catholic experience. As we used to say in what would now be regarded as a very racist way, that, that black people had a natural sense of rhythm and were naturally good at music. And I believe actually Protestants in the North used to say the same about Catholics, that they were very good at music. Why is it that people when they're up on top always say that the underprivileged are very good at music? Maybe it's because that's all the underprivileged have is music and boxing, <laughs> you know? Um, and, 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 and I, th I think we felt that the Irish had a particular, and I felt it for a long time. It was only lately I, I tried it out on Father Vincent Toomey, and he, he's very smartly put me in my place, that the Irish had a natural genius for the spiritual. And he said, Brendan, he said, human beings have a natural genius for the spiritual. He said, you know, we go on about the Irish, we're just going to sound childish. Uh, he said, human beings have a natural genius for the spiritual. But he said, I'll tell you what the Irish have a genius for and have had always, for a long time since we received the faith, a natural genius for depicting and telling the story. Now, our own Archbishop Michael Neary, who's a, who's a scripture scholar, would say that the Irish genius was always for the narrative rather than the abstract speculative. That the Irish were impatient of, and even contemptuous of what they would have seen as egghead, head in the sky, philosophizing, but had a tremendous reverence for the Shanchi and the Shanchi operating at a very high level. Because another word, an old Irish word for history is Shanchus, 
Keating called his history of Ireland Shankus Morden Heron. The Shankus for the great story. And it takes a very, very bright and, and tremendously learned person to tell the story. And so what I'm trying to do here today, being not, neither very bright or very learned, is just in my own way, try to tell, to tell the story a bit. And I'm going to tell you the story of, an, of the flood. And this is another flood. And if you haven't noticed, many of you have been floating, holding on to bits of wreckage for some time now. You've been sitting on rafts, hoping against hope, that you won't have to end up eating each other. You've been in lifeboats. You're in the wreckage of Irish Catholicism. And you're floating on this, this tremendous deluvian experience that is modernity. Like COVID-19. Don't be annoyed with me for drawing the comparison. I'm not, I am, I am not being, I'm not using improper levity because people have died from COVID-19. People are spiritually dying from this flood. It is killing people. Brilliant, creative, beautiful people are withering on the vine. They are dying through lack of spiritual nourishment. There is something, they are physically well, they are spiritually well, but they are zombified as it were. Because there is a tremendous, physically well, sorry, and intellectually well, but spiritually starved. And we are, we, we are in this, we, we, we are floating on this tide, this terrifying tsunami of modernity. And what kind of things do you think we're holding on to? What is the wreckage we're to? Okay, somebody on the inside told me that when they tried to divest themselves of Catholic schools in Dublin, that the most obstinate and impossible opposition they encountered was, I suppose you're going to say from devout Catholic parents, you must be joking. <laughs> For a start, there are only so many of those, and they were philosophical. They're by now well used to having to forage for themselves, and they were inclined to say, well, we'll somehow, we'll make it work. We'll find a Catholic school for our kids. However, the biggest obstacle was non-practicing Catholic parents, hmm. because they were desperate. They wanted their kids to have what they had growing up, but their kids can't have what they had growing up, because what they had growing up was given to them by their parents. There's this myth that the school can pass this on. It's a load of rubbish. The school doesn't invent this any more than diamond merchants invent diamonds. The earth has formed the diamonds. The merchants source and polish and, and, and market the diamonds. What the school does is finish a job that has been begun by the parents. Mm. So your kids can't have what you had. I'm sorry. You know, I'm saying, you know, I, I have Kleenex here. You can cry your eyes out. You know, you can weep and wail. You can beat me up for bringing the message. And the Greeks used to do that, by the way. They used to kill the messenger who brought the bad news. It's actually very satisfying. <laughs> it doesn't change the bad news, but it make you feel a way better for a while. Okay, you do what you like. If you didn't pass it on to your kids, you can whistle into the wind. And be honest with yourself. If some teacher tries to pass it on to your kids and they're a bit too successful because what you want is Catholic light, you don't want real Catholicism. You don't want the kind of Catholicism that has a real taste and a smell to it that's unpasteurized, okay? That like good unpasteurized cheese could leave you on the porcelain for three nights like. You don't want the real Catholicism that can make you, that give you a dark night of the soul and, get, and, 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 and can be so difficult to live with. You want Catholicism light. You want them to have nice, cosy feelings at Christmas and at Easter. Mm. I'm sorry. 
We both know what you do to a teacher if they really passed on Catholicism to, their, to, to your kids. You would have your kid out of that school like a shot if you couldn't get the teacher out of the school beforehand. Okay, so don't try that on me. All right? Where we are, we have a whole load of people clinging on to wreckage. There's dignity in that if you're willing to say, here I am clinging on to wreckage. That's decent. I mean, it's not your fault, maybe. You know, that's decent. Mm. But, but, and there's dignity even in somebody saying, I'm really on board a, a luxury yacht and I'm having canapes before a, a sumptuous dinner, which would be followed by drinkies and, uh, and, and watching the sun go down over the thing. There's dignity in that because you know it's not true, but you're disciplined, you're optimistic, you're, you're a positive person, you're keeping yourself alive, you're very intelligently fooling yourself into having continued hope or whatever. And, and you know what you're doing. And there's, dis, there's, there's, there's dignity in that. But my goodness, when you can't even see the lie anymore, mm. there's no dignity. You don't even have the dignity of the, of the accomplished liar. Have you come across Flannery O'Connor? Uh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. must. The American Deep South meets Catholicism. I mean, you, you absolutely must. She is... She That's is, most palatable, but... Oh, she... <laughs> she, she but, but to a developed palate, boy, is there a kick. Okay, she's gamey. She's gamey, I admit. But, but to a developed palate, there, there, there is a kick. And uh, she, she has this character, the judge, this ghastly character. Uh, he moved to a small town because he reckoned that he'd exploit his talents better, big fish in a small pond from the big city. Mm -hmm. He moves to a small town and she depicts him walking down Main Street, being greeted uh, respectfully. His shirt carefully stained in a few places. He'll go down to the courthouse lawn where he'll squat on his hunkers and chew tobacco and spit with the locals. By, by deed and gesture, she said he lived his lie. He had never deigned to tell one. There's dignity in that. You may go to hell, but you'll do it in some style. <laughs> But what dignity is there in clinging to a piece of wreckage, convinced that it's not? Oh, this is Catholicism. I've passed it on to my kids because I sent them to a Catholic school. No, you didn't. Mm. No, you didn't. You gave yourself a narcotic because to lose your faith is a terrifying thing to do. It is terrifying. Yeah. You gave yourself a shot like the dentist gives you a shot. Okay, you gave yourself a shot. Be honest about that. You're a coward with pain. I'm a coward with pain. And you gave yourself a shot. But don't go on about passing on faith to your kids, because you didn't, mm. okay? Faith is something quite different. So here we go, here we are, because we could talk about all these things forever, and indeed we will down the line. <clears throat> Where are we now? Well, the secularists will take great delight in, in telling us you're banjaxed, you're up the creek without a paddle. And we are, we are up the creek without a paddle. What the secularists don't realize is they don't have a paddle either. And we're up the same creek. Mm. This is enormous what has happened. And the implications of it are lost even on them. It's not entirely their fault, in fairness. It's too big. It's huge. I mean, get started, for instance. I, <coughs> I was listening really to Elon Musk just speculating about artificial intelligence. My goodness, that's a, I, it's probably not going to come as soon as some people think. But it's on the way and it's absolutely terrifying. He made the point that, for instance, we're already cybernetic. 
we're already cyborgs. We can't function without our phones. Oh, we have, a, we have a massive dependency on them. And what does the phone do? It multiplies your memory. It multiplies your intelligence. Uh, just You could even use it as a calculator. It multiplies your calculating ability, mathematical ability. It vastly multiplies, immeasurably multiplies the amount of information you have at your fingertips. Okay? So you're already part, part cybernetic. This is enormous. Believe it is enormous. The ethical implications, more deeply the spiritual implications, are enormous. So let's just start by having some hum so, so, some some blank blank and blankety blank humility here. Okay. How I wish I could fill in the blanks, but I can't. <laughs> they tell me I can't. Okay. Oh, let's have some humility here. Where does the word humility come from? Come on, young quirk. You're just <laughs> out of the seminary. You should have a dose of Latin. Gee, humility. I'm stuck on that one. Okay. Like most of my generation, Latin is poor. No, no, it's fine. Fine. My, my own generation just got the last taste. We, we got the, we got the, the, as they say, being blossom there's a There's a lovely taste on the little drop left at the end. Mm. We just got the last bit left in the glass. Okay, the, la, the, the last bit of Latin. Humility comes from the word humus, meaning soil. Mm. That's, yeah, can you just imagine digging your hands into the, into the good soil of, of mayo? Okay, I know you're from Galway, but you're a Mayo now. Okay, you're making your bread and butter here in Mayo. Yeah, wet soil. <laughs> All right, so periodically wet. Okay, dig your hands into that loamy soil. Okay, don't go too far down because you hit the rock fairly quickly in West Mayo, right? Into that soil and feel it. Listen, humility isn't crawling in the dust. Humility isn't licking the boots of your oppressor. Hum Catholics may have to stand up to their oppressors. Okay, for the good of the oppressor as well as the oppressed, and just say back off. Okay, mm. you know, or, or you're giving me an awful life, and you'll go to hell. Okay, no, no, it, it's it's not licking somebody's boots. Humility is reality. It's what Chesterton called the strong, dark meat of reality. I like that. We had an old neighbour who used to he used to, I often quote him still. He used to refer to he used to buy loads of bacon. It's all he ever ate, I think, was bacon. And he used to call it eating tiger. Said, That's all you needed, he said. A man needed was eat plenty of tiger. I'm telling you, eat tiger. Okay, we need eat reality, the strong dark meat of reality. We need to dig our hands into the soil. I, I, if I could torment my metaphors and mix them any more than I have at this stage. So an Irish version of Joe Exotic, is it? There we go. There we go. No, no. We need to, we need to, we need to get real here. Mm -hmm. We need to get real here. We need to get back to reality. And the reality is that we are where we are. And the reality is that here we are floating on this tide of modernity and we're out of control. Mm. We need to admit that to ourselves because the strain of pretending we're still in charge will kill us. Now, Joseph Ratzinger talked about this when he could still be respectfully referred to as Joseph Ratzinger. Indeed, he could even be called probably Joe at the time. I don't know. <laughs> Back in about 1970, he gave a series of famous interviews on Bavarian radio called, uh, they've been published since, called in English, uh, Faith in the Future. Very, very slim little volume, well worth reading. And the, the Church of the Future, he said, he talked about creative minorities. The Church of the Future would be small, it would be small groups in touch with each other. It would be much purer, much more focused, but it would have very difficult times. And he said, the hardest part of this, he said, will be the transition. And he's right. The transition is exhausting. You know why? Because we won't admit where we are. 
We're like an old British gentle lady after the Raj in India. And she's there, and she's there with the one servant she can still afford. And he's fanning her in the chair and bringing her the tea, and there's hardly any of the tea left, and, and, and the house is falling in, and you know what I'm getting yeah, at? Yeah. Indeed, the old uh, ascendancy in Ireland were in the same boat, okay? And, and when the ceiling of one room falls in, she moves into the next room. Uh-huh. Th- this is where we are. I mean, look, I, I have the greatest admiration for people who just stiff up her lip, take it on the chin, put your best foot forward, keep a smile on your face, as long as you aren't lying to yourself. But where you start lying to yourself, everyone's in trouble. So where do we start? This is where we are. Well, as Yeats said, uh, in the foul rag and bone shop of the heart, I don't think for modern man or woman there's anywhere else that you can start. After, after, in modernity, after existentialism, everything else, in post-modernity, which is what it is, I, there's nowhere else to start except in the foul rag and bone shop of the heart. You have to go back down into your core experiences. Mm. Back to the interior. You have to, you have to go back to the interior and try to make contact with others who are willing to do the same. Huh. Because paradoxically, for as human beings, it is impossible for you to be yourself without them. And yet the cure is, is nearly as dangerous as the disease because they'll take your individuality if you're not careful, which is what Irish villages did in the past. They bullied and, and chivied and petted and patronised and kept everyone in their place with nicknames and laughing at people, the terror of being laughed at. They, there was nothing more controlling than the Irish village which would protect you, look after you, told you who you were, gave you a past, outlined a modest future, everything, mm. but was hugely controlling. The, the valley of the squinting windows, and there's huge danger with it. You see it coming out again in COVID-19. There's huge danger with it, but we can't do without it. We need other people. And how do you see that we can reach out to these people? One of the, the biggest things that I find is finding people now in Ireland, like we're very much isolated with regards to the faith. There's various different things that are going on, but most of the time we're ploughing away in our own little parishes with maybe a couple of other like-minded people. How do you see that? In yeah, I, I, I'll tell you where it is. He shall drink from the stream by the wayside and therefore he shall lift up his head. What psalm is that from? Psalm 110. Yeah, and it's cryptic. It's, all, the, 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 it's, it's practically the master standing at your right hand will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He shall drink from the stream by the wayside and therefore he shall lift up his head. The, the, the exegetes do not know what those lines mean. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it out as an image because it's been haunting me for years. You know the way sometimes things haunt you and I think it's often for a reason. Mm. started bothering me out in Fatima about five years ago. He shall drink from the stream... De torrente, de torrente in via. He shall drink from the stream by the wayside, and therefore he shall lift up his head. The stream by the wayside is modernity. The stream by the wayside is the internet. Mm. It's the internet. That's where everything is now. It's the matrix. It's where we are right now. It's the matrix. Is where we, it's where we are right now. That's where we are right now. And here we are on our, on our lifeboat. <laughs> Right, and the fins are in the water circling. Okay, did you? Did you? Uh, you don't remember Jaws? I, I was a kid when Jaws came out. Oh boy, the seventies! I mean, we loved frightening ourselves in the seventies. All the disaster movies. Yeah, you know, which looks so ridiculous now. Well, you think about it. <laughs> Vietnam only ended. Vietnam ended in seventy-five. 
So you had all these films about government and big government and the CIA and, and all this stuff. You had the conversation with Gene Hackman. You remember that fantastic? Oh, that was so sinister. Jeepers, that terrified the life out of me. And I don't think there's, a dr there's hardly a drop of blood in it. And I don't think a single scene of violence. But it's a frightening film. Oh, yeah. The 70s was that time of the fin in the water. The, the menacing music, you know. Um, the stream by the wayside. Oh, I, I've the metaphors tormented here, but it's only the first one. Okay, we've plenty of time. We'll have the long winter nights to talk this through. <laughs> okay, we've we, we, we've plenty of time. Stay tuned. Could I just mention? Okay, in the middle of all of this, could I just mention two people who have proposed options right for the church? Mm -hmm. Rod Dreher. You remember him? Ah, yeah. Spoken Ireland a few, few there years you go. ago. There you go. The Benedict Option. Yeah. Which is very attractive. It's hugely popular. Yeah. Now, I've had this argument with friends. I've had this argument with you. Okay, we've all, among us, um, we, we, we've, been, we've been having this discussion, is what do you do in this? I, I, love, I, love, uh, I love military history. I'm very fond of military history, you know? I'm a real geek about military history. Love it. I love that stuff. And um, I, I, I argue for winter quarters. That was my argument always, you know. Yeah. We're getting, we, you know, here's one of my favourite Americanisms, and I love the way the, what the Americans do to the English language, you know. I love this. We're getting our asses handed to us on a plate here. Okay. We're getting creamed. We're getting beaten here. This is bigger than us. It's too big for us. We don't know what to do about it. We're getting creamed. You know, we got creamed by the internal. We got creamed by the internal stuff. We got walloped. We got beaten. We got scutched. We got warped. We got bushed. And we got bet. I'm using all my GA <laughs> rousing exhortations here. We got bet up and down the field. Okay, bet off the field by the scandals and by the the child abuse and everything. But what's coming now is huge. It's odorless. It's colourless. It's got that real terrifying carbon monoxide quality, which is modernity. And, and what's coming is indifference, let me tell you. We're going, to, we're going to look back with nostalgia to the time when people would, would shout something at you in the street. And that really was only in the late 90s, that things were that bad, you know. But we look back at it and think, jeepers, things were nearly good. Because what we're facing is what, is what, is what they've been dealing with on the continent for years, which is indifference which is complete indifference, which is the complete lack of, here's stuff again we need to talk more about later, the lack of pietas, something that the classical uh, Greeks and Romans talked about, the lack of reverence for God and for the generations before you. The, the, I, mean, I mean, you remember that heat wave in Paris there, what was it, 10 years ago? Where all those old people died in the heat wave during the August, during the, you know, all Paris goes on holiday in August. Last year again. Yeah, and, and a load of them didn't even, they didn't even come back to bury their dead. They just let them be refrigerated and, 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 and came back in, in their own good time. When, when to bury your ancestors, to bury those who gave you life is the greatest act of piety. So, I mean, so, something quite awful has happened. Okay? Now, you could always do that to human beings. If you created enough horror, war did it. War could always do it. I mean, I heard one survivor uh, of... Uh, one of the camps, the German camps, he was a kid in the camps, and he talked about their playing among the piles of bodies. He said, you just became inured, you just stopped seeing it. Okay. But it takes terrible things to do that to human beings. That's being done to us by modernity. Now, modernity is in some ways tremendously positive. There are beautiful things happening. 
remarkable things are happening. But the trouble is, is that there are sharks in this water. Mm. And humanity has forgotten the sharks. It's, it's just an awful lot of people just see this. Oh, oh we, we can swim in this water. This is the water. You know, this is the water of progress, the water of enlightenment, the water of freedom. I mean, you heard all this real, um, oh, it was real sort of uh, paleo-reformation stuff that was going on there. You, you heard people talking in the same way that the late Ian Paisley used to go on with in his, in his younger days, you know? And, and, and even, even the Bob Jones University in America where he studied said that Paisley was kind of like a figure from the Reformation. You know, this real, real uh, sort of uh, primitive Protestant abuse that was being thrown at Catholicism. Mm. You, heard, you heard that for a while. You heard that going on. But believe me, the thing is rapidly corroding away beyond that. Even that is melting. So here we come to just a question throwing out a few names to you, a few, a, few, a few things you might think about. The first one is Rod Dreher. In the middle of all this liquidity, and I want to talk about the liquidity more in a minute. In the middle of all this liquidity, in the middle of all this flood, how can we somehow create the solid? How can we bring something definite out of this, right? How can we define Literally defined comes from the Latin word fine as a limit. How can we start to define again? How can we start to talk about reality? You know, where, where reality can be anything, where everyone has their own story in this postmodern sort of liquid world where, you know, where history is whatever you think it is. Mm -hmm. You have your history. You have your story, just like you have your gender. You know, just like, you, you know, you are whoever you say you are. And he said the Benedict Option which is what I used to argue for, winter quarters. Dig in. You know, Europe was saved by monasticism before when you had this, this socio-economic, uh, socio-political liquidity of the early Dark Ages, so-called Dark Ages after the fall of the empire. And, and Europe was saved by monasticism, by the, you know, the, but you know Benedict's thing of the choosing of a definite place of stability of life. The monks would get together, you had work, you had prayer, uh, you had study. And Europe was saved. Um, but you remove yourself from society. You remove yourself from society, although you do let society come into you. Okay. So you're not entirely removed from society. You're not strictly a hermit like the hermits in the Egyptian desert. No, uh, the Benedicts have, Benedictines have this tremendous tradition of, of, of the guest master and the guest house and of offering hospitality, yeah. And then... If you remember, in two, it was you who brought it to my attention, uh, in 2014, in First Things, C.C. Pecknell, the American uh, theologian, put forward, uh, half joking, half serious, the Romans used to talk about redentum dicere verum, to speak the truth laughingly, you know, in a joke. Sometimes you can tell the truth with comedy, and that's absolutely true. You can tell profound truths in comedy. And he wasn't really that comic, but Pecknell, in a light-hearted way, but in a very learned way at the same time, proposed what he called the Dominican option. Yeah. Is that he felt the Benedictine option, which I disagree with him on, the Benedictine option was too much fugamundi, escape from the world, you know? Yeah. Uh, he wanted the Dominican option where you, you know, you, you kick some spiritual ass. Okay, right, I love Americanisms, I love them. Okay, you get in there, okay? You, you have the cont contemplative, uh, what is it, contemplatio ali stradere, is that it? You know, you have the contemplative, but you, the contemplative in action, you get out there. Okay, like Dominic, you know, to just through his sheer eloquence and love of God and, 
the attractiveness of his personality, winning over the heretics in France, you know, was it the Cathars, the Albigensians, winning them over through ravishing conversation. Mm. Was he an aristocrat, Dominic? You see what these guys, they nearly all the revolutionaries come from wealth. Yeah. Because they're the only ones that have the leisure. And the respect. This is it, Francis. Everyone forgets Francis came from big money. Mm. Now, he didn't come from nobility. They wanted to be nobles, but they weren't. They were the emerging, uh, you could say middle class for want of a better term. Okay. Father was a bit, he made a fortune in, 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 um, in cloth. Made a fortune. Uh, a cloth merchant in Assisi. That's why Francis is actually a nickname. Do you know that? Hmm. There was no such, I don't think there was any such word. His name is Francis. Francis is a nickname. Because uh, the father called him Francesco. Frenchy. <laughs> because he'd made his money. He made a lot of money in France. And so he, he, call, he called the son Frenchy. I, oh. I think the mother may have had French connections or been French or had French relatives. Uh, look, you can correct me on that. Yeah. Okay, you can, you, can, you can straighten me out on that. On that. Um, a lot of these people came from, they came from, they came from some money, you know. Culture. Yeah. So you, you have Dominic there, the contemplative, and at the same time, the, the ravishing conversation, the, the charm, the warmth, the erudition, the knowledge. Okay? All of this. And, and, and your man was saying, that's it. We need to get out. We need to... A spiritual version of COVID. Do you know what I mean? You need to infect people with this not deadly, but lively virus. The opposite of deadly. Yeah. This lively virus of, of, of Catholicism, of Christianity. And so I'm about to propose to you, and this is why we call this the Brendan option, right? I'm going to propose to you a third way. And I know you're going to laugh at me now. You're going to say, this is so parochial. It's typically the Irish. We are so insecure. You know, it's not good enough for us to partake in the great, the great currents of European thought. We have to sort of, you know, go GA on this. <laughs> you know, we have to get parochial on, 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 on its ass, so to speak, as the Americans would say. Okay? Make our own. Yeah, yeah, we have to somehow make it our own. But what's wrong with that? Okay, you chew, you chew, you chew, you masticate it, and then you make it becomes part of you. Uh -huh. Okay, I won't, I won't continue the image because okay, if you continue it consistently, it becomes quite disgusting. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm getting at? You chew. You, get you take ideas and you chew them and you, you ruminate. You chew them and you chew them like a cow does. Okay, and uh, and uh, you, let's take this and go for another option. An Irish. Let's put an Irish spin on this. Okay, let's put an Irish spin on this. You got the Benedict option. Because we tend to forget. You remember Columbanus? Mm -hmm. Columbanus was not as big a man as Benedict, but a big, big man in his day. Columbanus had his own rule. Now, I think it probably owed something to the Benedictine rule, maybe. I'm not sure. And certainly the Benedictine rule won out. It, it won out. But Columbanus remains a major figure in European history. Major figure in, in Catholic history. And he came from our wet little country. Our beloved little country, our lovely little country, right? Our soaking, wet, <laughs> rush-laden, bog-strewn little country, which even the European Union won't allow us now to, to develop. Okay, the bogs have to stay as they are. <laughs> Maybe no harm. The Brendan option. Now, you think of Brendan. People tend to forget the Navigatio Sancti Brendani, the legend of St. Brendan, was famous in the Middle Ages. There were, any, there were any number of versions of it. It was absolutely famous. It almost certainly inspired Columbus, who, by the way, visited Galway in 1477. Do you know that? 
He visited Galway. I used to always think he visited Galway on the way, on the way to discover the Americas, which wouldn't have been incredible because the Spanish were in and out of that port. But uh, no, apparently in the not. Church. Yeah, he kept he kept a log, and apparently not. But he did visit it earlier, and may have got some of his inspiration from people he spoke to, old hands in Galway. He spoke to in Galway because look at the map, see where Ireland was, and see it was on the edge of the it's the edge of the world. Yeah, right. Looking uh, into the abyss. Yeah. Now, I think of Brendan that boat, and Tim Severin made this voyage in the seventies. Did you know that? Hmm. The adventurer, he made this, there's a book called The Brendan Voyage. I think there's a film of it too. And he made this boat, he made the exact boat Brendan would have been in. Wow. The, I, I don't know, was it 70 or 80 tanned oxides it took? I can't remember. They, they put it together with, the, they, they caught it with a, a, what do you call it, waterproofed with um, wool grease. And they, 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 they brought, I think, exactly the food that they'd have been living on, everything, and they, they, they made the journey to Newfoundland. So, I mean, it's doable. Now, you think of Brendan. You not think, you. You think, not me, no, not me. Usher, I'm the greatest scaredy cat in the world. Naming <laughs> me after Brendan was hilarious. But, I mean, you, you think, I, I, don't even, I don't even like the sea. You think of Brendan. And what, what I love to think about is that, with, I, I love to think that Brendan didn't like the sea either. I mean, that would have made, you know they had this thing about the white martyrdom? Is that, is that you gave up that which is most precious to you? You gave up your own country? That's why they went wandering, you know that. Right. The Irish monasteries had to crack down on it. It was bleeding Ireland dry. It was bleeding the monasteries dry. The, they were all mad for white martyrdom. Is that you left your country and you never see your country again. You know? And um, they went out, they sailed into Providence. They sailed into God. Okay, here's a question for you. Have you ever seen the original Solaris? No by the incomparable Soviet filmmaker Andrei Tarkovsky, Solaris. Uh, Solaris was a, it's a Spanish, it's a, it's a science fiction novel written by a Polish um, science fiction writer called Stanislaus Lem. You know, there was a remake with George Clooney some oh, years yes, ago. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. It wasn't bad, actually. Famous and in, yeah. in the film Solaris, the, 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 the space station from Earth is over this strange planet that has been discovered, which is exercising the strangest attractive pull, psychological, spiritual, on the astronauts. Uh, there are people appearing in the spaceship who seem to be creations of the imaginations of the people who are in the spaceship. Mm. So it's, it's like the, the, the planet understands the people who are looking at it and are presenting their imaginations to themselves. Extraordinary. Yeah, it's, it's like... And frightening. Yeah. There's Brendan going out into the sea. You know, the Jews talk about the Sea of Talmud. Yeah. The Sea of Talmud, the great conversation about the scripture, about the Torah, the Mishnah, the Gemara, the Sea of Talmud, okay? Which is this endless conversation, this endless, endless conversation of the rabbis talking, you know, no, no, in this case you do this. No, 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 you do not do this. Rabbi so-and-so said in this case. And so it goes mm. on, back and forward, by the Sea of Talmud. Brendan sailed into God. Because nobody knew what was out there. Nobody knew what was out there. He sailed into God. He sailed into Providence. On Providence. And, and I bet none of them could swim. Did you know that until lately none of the iron fishermen could swim? Mm, I knew that, yeah. The islanders couldn't swim. Uh, partly maybe superstition, partly also that um, a good knowledge of the Irish waters is that if you went overboard, 
unless they could get you back into the boat within about two or three minutes, Gee. you were only just making it hard for yourself. Mm. It's better to let it be over. Can you imagine that kind of phlegm? Can you imagine that kind of courage? They couldn't swim. And there they were out on, on, on how many fathoms? On, on what Homer, wasn't it Homer called the, the wine dark sea? And in Ireland it's not wine dark, it's what dark? What, what dark? You know, the Aegean maybe is wine dark, but we're what dark? It's Guinness dark? I don't know. Okay, the black, cold, dark Atlantic. You know, where you'd be gone in what? Well, three minutes? Three minutes you'd, you'd, you'd have hypothermia, would you? You know, in winter. Mm. I, I mean, in the, those waters and the, in the, the, the tides, the currents, everything. Apparently, most of the sailors, I'm a great fan of that incomparable uh, English novelist. Oh, you must, you must, you have to discover him. Uh, a historical novelist. And remember, to be an historical novelist, you have to not only be able to tell a great story, but you have to know the history right down to what people ate and to curse words, slang, you name it. Dress, customs, everything. Uh, Patrick O'Brien. Mm. He has this tremendous novel, a, a gigantic novel that it's 21 novels, which is really just one novel set in the Napoleonic Wars. And it's on board a ship. It's a friendship at the core of it between an English sea captain, Jack Aubrey, and Stephen Matchern, an Irish doctor. And uh, it's, 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 it's just this wonderful tale of, of the sea. Most of the sailors in the Royal Navy on those sailing ships couldn't swim. If they went over, that was it. I, I love that story. I love that fact. Now, th that's where we are. That's what I'm saying. I'm proposing the Brendan option here. I'm, I'm saying, yes, we need something solid, right? We need something solid, right? We, we need something solid, but there is no land in sight. So we can't construct anything on land. We need something solid that will float. We need an ark. We need a boat. We need to master again the ancient art of shipbuilding. I think it's only in places like Connemara that you have that locally still, where people are, are, are master shipwrights. No, they don't make ships, they make small, decent-sized boats. You know the Bodmore? Bodmore is a decent-sized boat. You know the fishing, yeah, they, they, that ply off the coast. You know what they do with the diamond-shaped sails, the, yeah. red, the yeah. brown rock, uh, uh, terracotta colour, coloured sails? We have to learn again the art of shipbuilding. We have to learn, we have to become shipwrights. We have to become sailors. We have to learn seamanship. And what's our ship? Our ship? That's an excellent question. Because it hasn't been built yet and it hasn't been launched yet. <laughs> and we can't even say God bless her and not who's sailing her. Because they're busy drowning at the moment. The ship, you can call it what you like. There will be many. It'll have to be big enough to pick up survivors. Isn't it hard though to kind of set off in, into the unknown, especially in Ireland when we're so surrounded by the old Catholic culture, you know, even every town or village you'd be in, there's beautiful church or convents or monasteries around. I know for myself, the big romantic in me wants to see them back again. Whereas maybe we shouldn't be focusing our attention on trying to bring back what was, but create something new. I, 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 I think you're right. What, what did, takes do you remember the famous line from Augustine? Sero, sero, te amavi, late, too late have I loved thee. Ah, yeah. Too late, too late have I loved thee, O oh, beauty so ancient and so new. Memory is indeed a sad privilege. Too late, too late have I loved thee, O oh, beauty so ancient and so new. It's an ancient truth, but we have to find a new way of telling the story and a new way of living the story. Mm. 
and it won't be I, our generation. I'm telling you, our generation are going to have to stick to sea. Your generation will have to stay at sea. Your the next generation will have to stay at sea. It'll be it'll be some generations before dry land is touched again, and we can start to build. The church will have to become flexible. It'll have to become fast moving. It'll have to learn to fish. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many metaphors do you want? It's just going, how far can you develop this? Endlessly, I would have thought. Uh, it's, it's just going to have the Benedict option. They, that's a tremendously rich metaphor. It's tremendously rich metaphor. And let's not forget and get a plug in here is that an exciting new monastery is, has been started lately in Ireland in Silverstream, which we both know well. Yeah. Uh, Dom Mark Kirby and the monks there are, 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 are they're largely American, I think. Mm-hmm. Is there only one Irishman there? One or Irish two? guy, yeah, an Australian. They're refounding, as it were, Irish, Irish monasticism. Okay, something that hasn't been done for 200 years. It was done again, it was done by the Trappists after the penal times. Somebody said to me once the Trappists were the only monks that the Irish ever took seriously after the penal times. It's because they, were, they, they, they struck in a folk memory of the earlier monastic tradition. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thought. I, I, I don't know. The Trappists, of course, were terribly strict. Mm. So that's it. We, the, we, 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 have to, we have to become shipbuilders again. We have to build seaworthy vessels. And we have to learn how to, I'm afraid, fight at sea. We're going to learn that art because we're going to have to explain the faith and defend the faith. And it's not fashionable to talk about this anymore. Oh, the church only has constructive critics. It has no enemies. You can become paranoid, okay? I accept that. You can become paranoid, and it's a huge temptation because paranoia is very soothing, okay? No, it, it gives you a grip on things and it makes you feel you understand things. Okay, it's very, very soothing. And as the man said, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. You will be right part of the time. Okay, life being what it is. So you could become paranoid about that, but you could easily, equally become an idiot. You could equally become fast food for bigger, for bigger fish. There's an image. Okay. Well, yes, you could. Yes, oh, we have no enemies. We have only constructive critics. My aunt, we have only constructive critics. There are people out there who would love, and not only to do us in, they'd love to do a real slow job on us. Okay, make us howl. Some of them have taken the greatest pleasure. Child protection, how are you? They, they, they have been, there are a few there and they've been less concerned with the welfare of children than they have been weaponizing it to finish us off, you know? Um, and I'm not minimizing, by the way, the scandals in the church. Mm. Uh, I don't think that should ever be forgotten or minimized. Never. But <laughs> you, you, you'd have to be very naive not to see the use that was rapidly made of it, you know? So here we are, the Brendan option. One, build a boat, get in boat, have sail, put sail up, take off. BTW, include fishing rod. <laughs> the instruction manual. I think the Irish monks may have inherited from the Egyptian fathers whom they knew and had studied. There's a kind of divine madness, a kind of, uh, was it Don Mar- uh, Mark Hederman called him, he referred to it as the Manicon Eros. The, the sort of mad, crazy love of God for men and of men for God. There's a kind of a, a, a divine madness in the way he did it. You see, you may say we have to get our heads around God. You can't get your head around God. So that's, pre- that's almost blasphemy. It would be if it weren't, you know, an innocent remark. You can't get your head around God. You have to, you have to 
The Muslims have a point here. There is a quality of resignation. You have to submit to God. But it's a very active submission. I think the Irish monks at their best, they did what the Irish warrior, well, the Celtics, the Romans talked about this. They, not about the Irish, Romans didn't come to Ireland. Although they probably, they probably would have come across the Irish clans raiding along the Welsh coast. And Patrick came here that way, didn't he? You know, they'd strip half naked, paint themselves and run screaming at the enemy. Because the naked flesh naturally flinches from a sharp point. So they would have seen it as the acme of courage to be naked in the face of, 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 of iron, right? We have to have that crazy mad love for God. You know, apparently, I, let's keep at this image. Okay, let's flog the dead horse to death. Okay, he's not quite dead, so we'll, be, we'll, we'll beat him a little more. Nelson used to say, never mind manoeuvres, just go straight at him. Now, Nelson was a very brilliant admiral, and he probably had, there was probably a lot of craft in the way he went straight at him. But you can sit around forever being clever. Sometimes you just have to put down your head and run at it. You just have to run screaming across the bog. Mm. <laughs> you just have to charge the enemy. You just have to go at it. Because if you don't engage, nothing will happen. But sometimes uh, the criticism is it's just so overwhelming. Oh, God, it is absolutely overwhelming. And let me tell you that you are going to get beaten within an inch of your life, and that's clover. Within an inch of your life is clover, because within an inch of your life, you're still alive. Okay, you're alive enough to be carried roaring enough the battlefield. <laughs> okay, you are going to get creamed. You are going to get bet up and down. You're going to get bushed, warped, bet up and down the field, bet off the field. And then you're going to lick your wounds, and you're going to recover, and you're, you're going to learn, you're going to pray, you're going to reflect, and you're going to go at them again. And you're going to go at it and at it and at it until we learn how to be church on this modern sea. Yeah. On this sea of modernity. Which was not was what was. Something brand new. To the, the, faith, eye, the, to faith, the, faith, the faith isn't new, but then the faith is always new. Because God is always new and yet God is God was always God. Uh, was is, will be is those are pointless with God. But sure, what can we do? We're only poor human beings, we have finite minds. So, you know, we, we just end up fiddling about with it. Maybe this is where modernity can work in our favour in, in, in some respects. Oh, absolutely. Like shedding the stuff that we just need to get rid of yeah. in order to focus our attention on God and doing the work that yeah. he did. Like as we're reading these days, the Acts of the Apostles. Yeah. Acting on the word of God. Yeah, I completely agree with you. There will be a, a terrifying simplicity to quote Eliot, costing not less than everything. Mm. A simplicity that will burn us in this situation, it, or drown us, to go back to our metaphor. You know, it is, it, it is, it is quite terrifying. I, I don't have a good head for heights, for example, and you could use that metaphor too, you know. This is where we are. But if we don't learn to deal with it, and I'm telling you, if we, if we, don't, if we don't step up to the plate here, the next generation will curse our name. That's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to think, you know, that they, 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 they will just look back on us and they will look back on us in the same way as, as a family whose father drank, drank the farm. They love him, but he wounded them to the core of their being yeah. and left them with nothing. Their patrimony, gone where? Mm. You know, and, and that, that happened in Ireland in the past. Maybe it's still happening. I remember when I was working in Tume, there was one man who used to come round tonight at the roads, a lovely man. 
And one of the priests told me, he come around about twice a year, one of the priests told me he had, he was always very refined and very well dressed. Dressed in, you know, probably uh, second-hand clothes, but they were always very well picked. And uh, a friend of mine told me he had drank a farm and a good business and a marriage. His kids wanted so sad. nothing to do with them. And he was on the road. Gosh. Is that what we want the next generation to say about us? Yeah. Whereas, look, daddy is daddy and mammy is mammy. And if daddy and mammy made a pig's breakfast of the whole thing, but went down fighting and made sure the kids had enough to eat at least, they will be looked on with reverence, buried with bitter tears. So what is the one realisation we need today? Oh, it's not as if the next generation are asking too much. The one realisation we need today is at least what we can do is start putting together the skills that are now going to be needed and start teaching them. I mean, God Almighty looked down on us and Our Lady and all the saints and the angels and their little dog if we don't do this. I don't want to face God if I haven't done this. I'm going to be afraid facing him anyway. I'm a good Irish Catholic, I'm afraid of him. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to be facing him if I, if, if, oh Lord. I mean, that's a serious responsibility. No, no, it's the least we can do. And remember, we're both priests. And it's not fashionable now to go on about this. But priesthood is spiritual paternity. Yeah. We are supposed to do that. We, are suppo we, we were ordained, we gave up our lives to look after the others. That's not to diminish the others or infantilize them, quite the opposite. It's the, the business of lay people to run the world. Mm. And they have enough on their plates running the world. We're supposed to have their backs. We're supposed to pray for them. We're supposed to offer gift and sacrifice for them, to remember them in the Mass. We're supposed to have worthwhile advice to give them and skills to pass on to them. We're supposed to be doing this. And what? I mean, you, you, you take a family and you... I mean, even if you do leave a farm and land to your son, what the hell is the use of that if you didn't teach him how to farm? Hmm. The poor kid is there sitting there looking at it. He'll starve in a good farm. So I, I just want to finish by, I just want to finish by quoting again my good friend, the great spiritual guru, Mr. Rat. Okay, good old Ratty in Wind of the Willows. And to say to the whole Irish Catholic scene, which I can assure you is a pretty small scene. Okay. It's, it's a small country, but it's a smaller church. How many? How many, how many real Catholics? And I don't, mean, I don't mean good people in the sense that, I mean, the church isn't for good people. The church is a club for chancers and, and sinners. And we'll, we'll talk about that again, right? The church, church is a club for sinners. How many, how many self-conscious, self-aware Sinners, how many real Catholics are there in the country? I mean, real, real scumbags who have found the <laughs> Lord, you know, who have got in touch with their inner scumbaggery. <laughs> how many of us are there in the country? You're talking I, double figures. Well, by crikey, you're not talking more. No. I'll tell you. Maybe on a good day, let's say on a Sunday, if there was good weather and there wasn't a match on the television, <laughs> you might be talking a few more. Right? But, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it is not good. And I want to say to all of those out there, okay, we're sending out a signal here now from our, from our, our battered old lifeboat, which is at least better than your bit of wreckage that you're clinging to. Okay, so you might be more comfortable with us. And I'm saying to you, believe me, my young friend, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, half so much worth doing as simply messing about in boats. 
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. St. Brendan, pray, pray for, for us. us.